Today is Reformation Sunday. We're around the world and in the Chippewa Valley, great state of Wisconsin, all around the world. We are remembering that God used a humble priest by the name of Martin Luther to say, no, this is not right. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And so uh, that's why the trumpet players were here. So thanks to Karen uh, Martin and our friend Bob Baca for arranging that. And uh, we got to enjoy that. Take a picture and try just to capture this. That's what we were trying to do the best that we could a month ago. A month ago, we were in uh, Grand Teton National Park and we saw the colors. How many of you have been to that national park before? And there's a specific place called Jenny Lake, and then it's called Cascade Canyon. And it seemed like every curve that we went around, it just got prettier. It was that kind of weather as well, too. Kind of like what we've enjoyed this weekend, right? And maybe a couple weeks ago when you were driving around town and you saw the colors and you just thought, I just want to take it in. And sometimes it's no fair because it's so pretty, pictures don't do justice. You know what I'm saying? You get out your phone and you go, oh, it was prettier than that. How can you summarize something that's so gorgeous or so big or so huge or so picturesque or so filled with glory? That's kind of where we're at in our sermon series on the book of Hebrews. How can you summarize all these great and grand themes that the writer for the book of Hebrews puts in this epistle? Well, actually... That's what we're going to wrestle with this morning because in just two verses, the author for the book of Hebrews perfectly, perfectly, and supernaturally summarizes these great themes. These great themes that Jesus is God's own son. That beautiful, wonderful, totally life-changing truth that Jesus came in the flesh. And then this other truth that Jesus is the great high priest. And we understand the high priest in a Latin word. We've learned that one of the words for priests in Latin is pontifex, which means bridge builder between a holy God and sinful people like you and I. And so we come to the conclusion of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. And instead of a so what, we walk away with this part in chapter 13, these are not security, these are just the trumpet players, okay? <laughs> Whenever they walk in, I just freak out and go, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't pass that up. Chapter 13, instead of saying, so what, we walk away from this chapter saying, now what? And so this is really part three of a three-part message entitled, Because of Jesus. We've heard these great themes and sprinkled in, we've heard warnings as well too. And so in a beautiful way, we get a final blessing, a final blessing that is rich and wonderful and sprinkled into that beautiful blessing are just some tweaks and nuances that you say, I didn't see that before. And then like any good letter, maybe when you write a letter, you'll put a PS at the end. Uh, oh, I, I gotta include this. And there's a couple of those as well, too. So I invite you to find a copy of the scriptures, page 1042. There's pew Bibles that are there. You can uh, find those as well, too. And we're going to jump down on page 1042. We're going to jump down to the last 
five verses, six verses actually, and we'll give it away. And you can see there is a subtitle that's there that says, Benedictions and Final Greetings. So reading in Jesus' name. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you. Equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I've written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I'll come with him and see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, King of creation, God of the heavens and maker of heaven and earth, you know the stars, in fact, you name each one of them. Your very fingers crafted coastlands. And by your voice, you called into existence the majestic mountains and picturesque valleys. Who alone can approach you? Who or what type of being can gaze upon your glory and majesties? Angels bow before you, heaven and earth adore you. And who are we but finite mortals? We're filled with selfish desires and actions. And even when our actions are done in apparently good light, they can quickly be twisted by sin and pride and greed and lust. And the list goes on. So we come before you begging for the mercy of Christ, thanking you for the mercy of Christ. Christ Jesus is our hope. He's, he lived the perfect life on our behalf, Lord. He is the hope that we cling to. His death on the cross, his resurrection three days later, his promise to send a comforter, God the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the infilling of the Holy Spirit brings hope and strength that seals and hope that indwells our very veins with new life so that we will be complete when we finally see you face to face. So until that time, please speak to us now. Please give us ears to hear. Take the words of this message and anoint them by the Spirit's power and give us those ears to hear what you want to say to each of us as we leave this place. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen and amen. So how do you summarize a beautiful book, a beautiful epistle, a sermon series like the book of Hebrews? Will you do that in a rich benediction, a blessing? Verses 20 through 21 are really a blessing or a benediction. The definition of a benediction is a blessing out loud. A blessing out loud. The first, very first blessing we see in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, where God says, let the earth multiply, animals multiply, like deer, venison, or pheasants. The second blessing we find in the Bible is in Genesis 1.28 where God blessed Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply, and guess what? It worked, because here we are. Then God blessed Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, not like a cul-de-sac that it'll stop with you, but as a channel so that you will bless other people. And that's where we get the idea, blessed to be a blessing. You see that in Genesis chapter 22 as well too, but 
In this verse, in verse 20 through verse 20, and then verse 21 as well too, we meet the God of peace. Why is that significance? Why does that summarize everything? Because God has been pursuing you and I since the fall. Genesis chapter 3 is called the fall of humans. It's when women and men rebelled against God in our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And God's first words after the fall is this. Where are you? In the original language, in Hebrew, that's only one word. And the idea is multifaceted. It is, I miss you. I want to restore you. I want to have relationship with you. I want to provide a redeemer for you. God has always been searching for us to restore us into his likeness, into relationship. Wow. He approaches us. And then in this verse, in verse 20, also that's in here, we see for the very first time a phrase that we never see in any of the rest of the book. It says, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, who is risen from the dead. That's the first time we ever hear about the resurrection of Christ. First time. We hear about his ascension. We hear about his exaltation. We hear about his crucifixion. We hear about his life. But the first time ever in the book, to summarize this book, we hear about the resurrection of Christ. And then, for the first time, the word eternal and covenant are zip-tied together. They're put together so that this blood lasts for you and I today. But this idea of a good shepherd, why is that so significant? Certainly, we see the good shepherd throughout, throughout Scripture, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you were going to summarize maybe the two most famous passages of Scripture, John 3.16 would be up there. God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never die but have everlasting life. That would be it. But also Psalm 23. I mean, how many times do you hear Psalm 23 in a funeral service, right? And it starts with the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, if you zip down to the last verse, I'm not going to repeat it all to you. The last verse says this, and goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, the word follow is kind of a weak word that's translated in English. The word follow maybe has the idea that your dog follows you on a walk. Uh, we're, we're known in our block as Lucy's parents. That's how we're known, okay? That's our dog. Oh, you're Lucy's parents, Julia. Ju my wife found out at Shields, and we went, yeah, I guess we are. Is that the idea that goodness and mercy will follow us like a, like a puppy would follow on a walk? Not at all. It's much stronger word. The word is actually, the same word is actually used in Exodus 14, verse 23. And here's the context. Israel had been slaves for 400 years. They were the economic back. It was on the backs of the Jews to make Egypt a superpower. And God moved in a powerful way, did he not? He caused 10 plagues to come down upon Egypt and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's heart hardened and hardened and hardened. And finally, he let the children of Israel go. And as the children of Israel went, Pharaoh, in a sense, came to his senses, and he followed and pursued and went after the army. And he was going to destroy the army. 
destroy the army. Excuse me, destroy the children of Israel. He was going to kill them. He was going to assault them. Every movie that's ever been done, if you ever see when Pharaoh goes after the children of Israel, the horses are snorting, veins are popping, anger, saliva is coming, and the word is he chased them and he hunted them down. Do you feel that word follow now? He hunted them down. Now, here's the shepherd who hunts you down with goodness and mercy. Wow. Goodness and mercy follows the believer in Christ all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this, Oh, how great are the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge, for it is impossible to understand his decisions and his ways. This is a picture of the Good Shepherd. If you're listening on the radio, I'm holding up a piece of art that I got from Israel, and it's made out of olive wood, and it sits in my home office. And the picture, if you're sitting in the back, is Jesus the shepherd, and on his shoulders is a sheep like me. And it reminds me of my first calling as a child of God and a humble calling that I have to be one of your shepherds. And the prayer goes on to say that he will equip you, this good shepherd, this good shepherd with the blood covenant will equip you. The word equip is this word right here. Something that fits really good, like a good shoe that fits. Wiggle your toes just a little bit, would you? Just interact. I can't tell if you're doing it or not. But have you ever had a good a pair of shoes that you really like but don't fit you so well? Ooh, I should get those shoes, but I really like them, but they don't fit me real well. That's the word equip. It means to be rightly fitted. And because of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, he equips you for what is perfect through Christ. The book of Philippians says this. It says, work out your salvation. The idea about that is what God is doing already. Join him in you. So I ask a simple question like this. And we've used this before. We've talked about this before. How are you shaped? What do you mean by that? How has God created you uniquely, fitted you uniquely for his kingdom? Your gifts are different than mine. And so this shape is an acronym. It's on our website. So I thought I'd just walk you through this a little bit. This is a screenshot. If you go to our website, C3EC, you'll find something like this. It's called How to Find Your Shape. And if you go down here, you'll see, uh, you'll find this, this shape. And this is what it looks like. Each of those letters stand for something. The first S stands for your spiritual gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? Your gifts are different than mine. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, maybe ask a friend. Maybe ask someone in your life group or someone who knows Jesus and say, I'm trying to figure out my spiritual gifts. What do you see in me? The H stands for heart, and we always make the H longer or bigger or in capital letters for this reason. You follow your passion. You follow your passion. Some of my passions are service. 
Some of my passions are Operation Christmas Child. Be careful that you don't passion project. The A stands for abilities, things that you are good at doing. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says this, there are different abilities to perform services. What are your unique abilities? Some of you can work with your hands. Some of you can fix stuff. Or as I heard, some of you are good neighbors and you have stuff that you can be a blessing to your neighbors. What are your abilities? P stands for personality. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says this, no one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like except that person himself. What's your personality? There's so many different tests that are out there. But the last one is the one that always gets me. The last one is asked, what's your experience? What's your experiences? What, what have your experiences been? Boy, my heart is more tenderized to people who have parents or a spouse who's going through dementia. That's part of my experience, my walk with the Lord. You might be someone who's survived a horrendous tragedy, and God can use that and leverage that for his glory. So I simply ask you this, as a follower of Christ, how are you shaped? For good works. Our works are not for righteousness. That's already been taken care of in the blood of the eternal covenant. Amen? But they are works of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship. And the word literally means poem. I've told this story before, but it's such a powerful story. I spoke at a Bible camp, a high school Bible camp, years ago, probably 10 years ago, and at the end of the message, there was a girl that was waiting to talk to me, a high school girl from North Central North Dakota, and she had shaved her head. She was dressed all in black. But the thing that stuck out most was she had cuts on her, both of her arms, and she had tears in her eyes, and she looked at me and she said, Pastor Kirk, I've never been called a poem before. I said, well, you are God's workmanship, beautifully created. You are his poem. There's no one like you, and he wants to use you in a powerful way. Wow. The writer for the book of Hebrews also says something about having an urgent appeal. He puts a PS, if you will. It comes with a warning. It's an urgent appeal that also that same word is used in verse 19. And it's really an exhortation. An exhortation is a public way of urging someone or appealing to someone. Different English translations use the word appeal or beseech or a strong appeal. And the idea is, please remember the warning. Please remember the warning is what the author is trying to say. Throughout this book, there have been five different warnings, and I ask you the question, which warning hits you in your heart? The first warning that we came across in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, 4, is don't drift away. Don't drift away. Be aware that that's a true reality that can happen. Don't drift away. Hold on to Jesus. Read his word. Memorize his word. Understand his word. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, it says, don't harden your heart. Be ruthless with sin because sin kills. On my sabbatical, I had a chance to go to a pastor's retreat in Minneapolis. There were about a dozen pastors that came. 
And one of the pastors, I'll just call him Pastor E, he said, I keep a Bible of my father-in-law on my desk. His father-in-law had fell into sexual immorality that devastated, wrecked his family. And he said, I keep it on my desk to remind me, the same desk I write my sermons on, to remind me his Bible. Sin kills, sin destroys, sin wrecks. Be ruthless with sin. Hebrews 5, 11, 6 through 8, don't fall away. Your security rests not in your wit, not in your money, not in yourselves. Your security rests finally in Jesus. Cry out to him. Fix your eyes on him. The fourth is don't shrink back. Persevere. You're not, if you're not dead, you're not done. God wants to use you in his kingdom. And my friends, my older friends, please hear my heart as your shepherd. You may be retired, but please redirect. Pray, fast, give, serve, mentor, hit repeat. Pray, fast, give, serve, mentor. And the reason why is because there's a younger generation watching us persevere, persevere, persevere. This urgent appeal finally ends with the last one. Don't refuse God. The final warning comes in this two different mountains, and it's not to terrorize you or make you afraid, but make you uncomfortable in a warning that God himself will come to judge the living and the dead. There will be a day. So why does this warning hit home? Because all of us live with this idea that if anyone knew the mess I really was, if anyone knew what I was really like, each of us wrestle with that. 110 years ago, the great English lay theologian, G.K. Chesterton, made this comment to the London Times. The London Times wrote this, what's wrong with our world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote just a, one of his shortest letters. He said this, dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. You may blow that off and say, well, that was 100 years ago. That doesn't make sense anymore. Well, the number two song on Apple Music, top 100 in the USA, has had 4 million views on YouTube. It's called Antihero by Taylor Swift. And this video says the same thing that Chesterton does. Swift says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's true. So what do we do with that mess? It's like the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews has been reading our mail and writes this final word. The final word of this book is grace. Grace. Grace connected to Jesus. Grace not in an impersonal sense, not a feeling or experience, but the washing over realization that because of Christ, I am loved. Because of Christ, I can be forgiven. Because of Christ, he wants to adopt me. Because of Christ, I am rescued. Because of Christ, he's promised that I will never be alone or abandoned. And so, so, so much more. 
the writer for the book of Hebrews, ends with grace, costly grace, that attaches itself personally to Jesus. Chuck Swindoll, the Christian pastor from Texas, says, grace is a stream of living water in the desert of life. It is the infilling true power that enables you to make it one more day. And sometimes maybe just one more hour. The person of Jesus who will pursue you and chase after you with goodness and mercy. Wow. This isn't unique to Hebrews, by the way. The book of of Colossians in the book of Ephesians ends with the same term, grace be with you. And then this same term is used in the pastoral epistles in 1, 2, Timothy, and Titus as well too. Wow. So as we end with the um, book of Hebrews, let me suggest to you a Christmas idea. I love spending other people's money, so if you haven't figured out what you want for Christmas, let me just humbly suggest a book called Gentle and Lowly that I'm going to quote from right now. It's by Dana Ortland, who's a pastor uh, just west and south of Chicago. And uh, I'm in a book club. I'm in two book clubs. One is with my family, and we went through Gentle and Lowly. And I thought this quote by Dana Ortland would be a beautiful way to end how our Savior is because Jesus is greater. Let me read this quote to you, and uh, you can buy it if you want. Dane Ortland writes, meek and humble, gentle Jesus <clears throat> is not trigger happy. Let me read that again. Meek and humble and gentle, Jesus is not trigger happy. He is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He is accessible for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is this, he is gentle and he is lonely. And so as we started the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews began like this, our aunt through, it was in our ancestors, God spoke through the prophets. But now Christ has come. Christ has come, who is the very image of God, the stamp of God. And he's come. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He knows your mess. He knows your doubts. He knows your struggles. Come to him. Lay yourself at his feet. Enjoy this afternoon and go for a walk. Walk and talk with him. Pour out the warning that hits you. Cry out to him for his mercy. And he, he will restore you. And he will rescue you. And he will call you one of his own. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful book. We thank you for this series that we have had the opportunity to wrestle with who you are because you are great. This final word of grace, no one deserves this. No one earns this. No one has it coming to you, coming to them. It is a pure gift and gift alone. And so we respond to that. We respond to that with gratitude. 
we respond to that with lives that say, Lord, I'm yours. No matter what my life stage is, I'm yours, Lord. Use me as you see fit. Each day is a gift, and I pray that our church, as we are sent out now, as we go through our week, we would reflect the power and the love of Christ. Thank you for these friends who have gathered. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for your gentle and lowly nature, that your arms are open wide for us to come to you. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen.